I'm amazed how many people own stocks. Welcome to the Playing Footsie Podcast. My name's Paul, and each episode, me and the lads get together to talk about the stocks, stock market news, and finance in general. Quick disclaimer, you shouldn't consider anything in this podcast as personal financial advice. If you need such advice, go to a financial advisor. And please remember, when investing in any form, your capital is at risk. So sit back, relax, and let the lads fill you in with all the stock market news of the week. The sucker's going up. Welcome to the Playing Footsie Show. I'm Steve W. We've got loads on the show this week. We've got the new Fangs, the Fang 2.0s. We've got some news from Adobe, and we've got some stocks. We didn't talk much about those last week particularly. We had Damien on the show, who was, as always, a cracking guest. Um, but no Paul this week. Steve D is with me. Steve, how are you? How's your week been? Uh, well, I've had a bruising week, uh, Steve. I'm pretty tired, and I've had a bruising week in the stock market as well because, uh, uh, as everybody who's listening on Sunday, again, we're going to do one of those notices where we're not going to talk about it, but I guess you know what's happened with inflation, and I guess you saw, was it Tuesday, Steve? Tuesday was a bruising day, I think. Um, yeah, Steve's nodding. So, um, yeah, that was a bruising kind of day. Uh, but actually, Wednesday was quite quite positive and thursday's been a middling kind of day for me in the market um but you know these are like we say these are gifts these are opportunities by 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 what spoil that with you uh adobe with an interesting fall today that we'll be uh you know happy to touch upon but steve how's your week been my week's been uh okay um the house move that i was in the process of working through is no longer happening which means that there's more unpaid work for steve um the other steve uh, looking at plans for things, for walls that I've decided I want to knock down in the future. I believe, actually, we've looked at a couple of houses this week. Our focus is currently on knocking down garden walls, uh, from what I can see of it, where people have decided, no, we don't need a drive, we'll just put our car on the road all the time, and we think that's wrong, and therefore we should knock down the front wall. Uh, we looked at about four houses, actually, the other day, the wife and I, mostly wandered around gardens looking at what bits of it we wanted to knock over, uh, which is... <laughs> not been a running theme of our previous ways of looking at things actually but i'm i'm conscious that every time i talk to steve i point to a new wall i want to knock down with him um but... yeah that's my that's my job isn't it yeah you can knock that one down <laughs> yeah pretty much uh garden walls were never that essential anyway stocks have been interesting um yeah i was nodding when you said uh tuesday we had inflation readings from both the uk and the us i wasn't sure quite which one you had in mind there but the uk came in slightly lower than expected the uk slightly higher than expected uh uh, is our kind of general reaction at the moment. We're not going to take these every month, I don't think. But, yeah, Tuesday got a bit of a whack. Wednesday surprised me. It started off not looking very good, but actually the market's finished slightly higher, uh, with a few notable exceptions that I'll come back to in a little bit. But I was looking at some of my uh, favourite things, which is the how everybody else is feeling in the market ometers. Uh, so there's a CNN Fear and Greed Index, which is currently pointing at 41 uh, to, so just for context, naught is uh, maximum fear uh, and 100 is maximum greed. So 41 is leaning fear, but only just out of the kind of neutral range. Uh, but I also heard about the Bank of America uh, bull and bear indicator, um, which is done by sort of actual humans that work at an investment bank and are quite a serious one at that for what it's worth. Um, they are pointing things to be all the way bearish since in the first week of September, uh, so actually about a fortnight ago, apparently 11 billion came out of US funds, uh, which is a significantly huge uh, amount. That's almost as much as came out of the whole rest of the world, uh, for what it's worth. So insofar as that measures sentiment, um, and I think at that level, it's not just people wanting to take their money out and go down the pub. That's not your average Friday sell-off that we're uh, so very fond of monitoring on this show. That's quite a significant pullback from uh, somewhere. I mean, I was marking as one of the things that I was interested in to work out where the bottom of the market might be, not because it affects my investing decisions, but because Paul asked me every week where I think the stock market's going. I have to have, find something to say. Um, I was looking for a kind of retail capitulation, and $11 billion coming out of US funds, that may or may not be quite what I'm looking for, but it's it's noteworthy, at least I thought anyway. The bottom of the market's when people sell out the ARC funds, surely, surely that's got to be the bottom. <laughs> but yeah, it is, is a notable, it's a, well, it's a notable thing to, to look at, isn't it? I mean, we're not in the business of predicting bottoms, but I think it's all fun and games. I think a lot of it, well, I know that, um, uh, I think it's Munger, isn't it, who says that we shouldn't really be enjoying it, but I think it's all really interesting and there's a, there's a hell of a lot of stuff to keep your interest. Um, but yeah, I think he says that if you enjoy it, you're stupid, doesn't he? <laughs> 
<laughs> I mean, probably. <laughs> it says that about most things, I think. Yeah. Um, yeah, he's yeah. not. He's not. He's, he's a man of uh, of not twisting his words, isn't he? So, uh, but. But yeah, another thing, Steve, uh, we may just note in passing, the Ethereum merge completed today. Um, oh, yeah. Um, and that was a, I think that was a buy the rumour, sell the news kind of thing, because Ethereum is down about 9% uh, as we record. So uh, it looks like people had maybe locked up their Ethereum, and then uh, this has collapsed. Uh, the, the Ethereum price is over half since uh, since its highs. Uh, they've finally maybe got a little bit of access to that Ethereum, and they've just pressed the sell button. Excellent. Um, I can't believe I'm going to ask this, but Steve, you own Ethereum, don't you? Or Ethereum is something I've heard you speak positively about in the past in ways that other cryptocurrencies are not. Yes. So do you want me to quickly touch on what the merge is? Yes. Yes. So basically they're moving from proof of work to proof of stake. So the system is rather than burning dinosaurs to prove that you have spent the required energy to give the coin some kind of worthwhile, they now think that the coin is uh, self-sustaining in its own right and that by uh, that by having a stake of it, that proves its, its worth. I guess it's in the same way that like... Loosely, this is a terrible uh, sort of analogy, but in the way that we removed the gold standard, uh, mm -hmm. money still held its value off the back of it because, you know, perception of value, I guess, is is probably what they're going to say. Um, so I would look for a couple of things happening now. I think um, there's going to be this period of selling because there has not been much selling pressure. If you locked your uh, Ethereum up to become Ethereum 2, um, you would have got an interest rate on that while you locked it up. Uh, now it becomes unlocked. There's naturally going to be some selling pressure after people have locked it, not thinking that prices were going to go down 60, 70, whatever percent. Uh, but also I would look for a fork in the token as well, because I think there's probably going to be uh, some people in there who think, hey, look, I proof of work was better. Do you know what I mean? We're going to stick on that method. So it may well be that you end up with some Ethereum 1 uh, back in your pocket after your Ethereum 2. Uh, for you to do as you wish with, but that's all, you know, that's all much later down the line. Interesting stuff about proof of stake versus proof of work. Um, I heard this mentioned uh, about a month ago or so now on a different show, um, but I was hearing this not so much as a, a crypto bit of news, but as news that might be relevant to NVIDIA. Uh, so their major project is, uh, product sorry, is GPUs, uh, which are, I think, quite heavily used in crypto mining. And if you're looking towards proof of stake rather than proof of work, I think there's less emphasis on mining crypto in quite the same way. And uh, we've seen over the last month or so NVIDIA's, NVIDIA's stock has come down because NVIDIA's forecasts have come down, I think, or reports have come down, or, or generally the business is not going as well as it once was thought to be when it was, I think, pegged by Motley Fool as the next trillion-dollar company. And I think it's some way off that now for what it's worth. I'm not saying it won't be the next one, but um, I think it's some way shorter there right now. But, yeah, interesting stuff in the crypto world. Um, should we talk about FANG, Steve? Let's do it. There's some new ones. Um, more research from Bank of America and Merrill Lynch uh, and those guys. They've come up with a new um, FANG uh, index for the high rate, high inflation, low growth uh, kind of era. So previously we had Jim Cramer's uh, named FANG stocks, which were Facebook um, and then in either order, Apple, Amazon, uh, Netflix and Google. They were um, stocks that no one really quite knew what got them on the list and left out stuff like Microsoft. But uh, they're... Stocks that did very well in the last bull run anyway, they are undeniably market leading um, over the last sort of 10 years or so. Some of them have come off a bit since. In fact, I think probably all of them have come back a bit. But um, those are the fangs of 1.0. Uh, Bank of America Merrill Lynch has come up with a new set of fang acronym stuff here. Uh, Steve, you've had a busy day and I only sent this over this morning. Have you had a chance to look at what it is yet or are you going to find out for the first time now? I haven't, but if it's not Batman... <laughs> No, it's, it's not Batman. We can come back to Batman for no. what it's worth. Uh, they've stuck with the FANG um, uh, acronym, uh, which is what it is. Okay. Um, they've just decided that the Fs and the As and the Ns and the Gs are going to stand for different things. Uh, and this made okay. me quite angry when I read it, but let's see what you think. Uh, would you like to take a guess at what F stands for? You stand Bored. for Facebook. No. Um, you're... 
in the bright broad area it doesn't actually stand for a stock which is what makes me cross it stands for right. fuels um and basically right. there's uh their thought is that look oil and uh fossil fuels i think in particular um are things you want to own in a high rates high inflation low growth era i was kind of okay with this from a kind of investment perspective for what it's worth i don't think it's any secret that the uk the us europe has been closing down refining capacity all over the price uh, place that with the additional push of a kind of war in Ukraine has made the price of oil go up. And they think that might be durable, even if you kind of don't get as much out of the war as you might think, or even if uh, the European gas supply sorts itself out. Fuels are a thing that you want to own. Are you long on fuels or are you shorter on fuels here, Steve? Uh, this is tricky, isn't it? I mean, I would love to have been long on fuels about six months ago. Mm. Uh, that would be great. I mean, this feels like buying um, cyclicality at the top of the cycle at the moment. It may well not be. This may well be the, the that was super cycle word we used with copper um, only a few months ago. I need to describe, discover that it, it wasn't <laughs> a super cycle. Yeah. Uh, it, it may well be, but I, I would, I guess I'm not in a rush to buy fuels at the moment. I feel the same way. A lot of this to me, uh, a lot of this new fang stuff um, feels to me like think cyclical things at the wrong part of the cycle, by which I mean the top part of the cycle. I get that there's an argument to be made that um, structurally a lot of opposition to fossil fuels has decreased supply on that quite significantly, discouraged people from uh, drilling, expanding and so on. And that there's reason to, mm. on that grounds to think the kind of cycle might persist longer. But I'm very wary of things being kind of uh, cyclical things being described as non-cyclical. Another good example is semiconductors, by the way, which turned out to be uh, cyclical, even though everyone thought they weren't at one point, because the world basically runs on them. But that hasn't helped semiconductor stocks over the last couple of months or so. They've all gone down quite a bit, at least I think anyway. But, um, oh, actually, I suppose we should finish with a quick would you rather. Facebook or fuels? As in old fang or new fang? Well, I sent you a podcast, Steve. I don't know whether mm. you've had a chance to uh, have a look at it yet. With uh, it, It's uh, Invest Like the Best, and it's uh, I think it's called Mitch Lasky, and he yep. works at Benchmark, and he's talking to Patrick Shaughnessy. Shaughnessy? Um, and he's talking about games uh, investing, and it's actually a market where a lot of investors are not or don't have very good performance, but Mitch has very good performance, and his... Um, his opinion is is that uh, well, he, he doesn't think VR in its current form is going to be a really good thing, and in that uh, method, he also talks about how he doesn't think he thinks Facebook will eventually figure it out, but he thinks the amount of money they will expend in doing so could be could be an awful lot, and he thinks that in a, quite a few areas, rather than focusing on the fun of the game and what makes a game worth playing or an experience worth doing they're kind of focusing on the technology and he thinks that's the wrong way to go but i think i'd still take facebook over fuels at this sort of period in the cycle well i own meta platforms as it now is and i don't own fuels and i bought meta platforms fairly recently again because uh, i'm significantly lower than i was when i started buying it so fairly obvious answer for me a though uh, stands for aerospace, or at least the first A stands for aerospace. Uh, this to me looks a little bit short-sighted. I mean, these things are supposed to be kind of fairly acyclical, but it feels to me like they're right at the top of their cycle at the moment. In fairness, this isn't just a kind of Russia be fighting Ukraine kind of idea. There's also global tensions elsewhere, sort of around Taiwan and so on, and that kind of idea. Um, that said, I like aerospace companies more than I like fossil fuel-based companies, uh, for what it's worth. I used to own a fair bit of Lockheed Martin, which I unloaded um, around the start of the kind of Russia-Ukraine situation. I rate General Dynamics very highly. I think BAE Systems is one of the better companies on the FTSE 100 if I was being forced to own one um, or to get it as a free share that I couldn't sell or something. Oh, I got a free share in a fuel earlier, actually. I got Occidental Petroleum, sold it again. Um, but uh, Aerospace, Steve, your thoughts on this? Yeah, that's the sector I like. I would assume that they're lumping in uh, commercial aerospace with defence and space in that sector, I would assume, which I guess makes it a pretty hot sector. Uh, I own Boeing in this space, which mm. I think is uh, is a fairly attractive company um, at these kinds of prices. So I guess I'm involved in this as much as anybody. So let's try and give the new fangs a chance to win one then, at least as best we can. Do you prefer aerospace? Um, let's suppose we're talking about an aerospace ETF here, so imagine a kind of basket of anything you can think of in this sector. Or Apple. Uh, 
that's no. <laughs> I think I still prefer Apple over there. I mean, me and you are not. We're not massive fans of Apple's uh, business or balance sheet. Although it has, I think it's grown on both of us fairly recently. And you know, you could even perhaps say that Apple is maybe topping out even in terms of its growth. And I mean, the the new iPhone releases were quite unremarkable. I, I thought. Um, I mean, they are they're kind of mid cycle releases, so we shouldn't be expecting too much. But um, I heard, um, I think it was Chris Hill who said that the only remarkable thing he's seen from Apple was about eight phones ago when they made a bigger screen. Uh, he's not, <laughs> he doesn't think there's been any, any redeeming features since then. And I would be inclined to agree, but I think I'd still go for Apple over aerospace at the moment. I think, um, I think they're right in thinking that defense space, aerospace, there's going to be quite a lot of spending in that sector uh, for government spending. But um, I think I'd still prefer Apple. Yeah, I agree with you. I think I, I, I like Apple more than I thought I did. I can't interpret their balance sheet is my kind of issue here. They have this yeah. idea of net cash neutral, and I don't know quite how they work that out because their balance sheet, at least – this might be something to get past here, but the Yahoo Finance version or any other version appears to have them showing much, 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 much more debt than cash and having done so for ages and ages and ages and ages and ages. So net cash neutral, um, they have this thing they call term debt, which I'm not quite sure what that is. Uh, I assumed it to be the combination of long-term debt and short-term debt, which Yahoo Finance thinks is much higher than their number they give as term debt. So that's the kind of one that hangs up there for me, and I think their share price momentum will slow down when their buybacks slow down. I'm happy owning it through Berkshire for the moment but so but i do like apple as a uh, a company increasingly and i wouldn't mind a bit more people thinking this is the end of the iphone thing what else does a stand for steve any ideas um well i, w I guess i would guess it was some kind of commodity but all i can think of is aluminium but i don't think that's got any magic magic sectors to it but i'll let you go Good answer in the commodities are somewhere else, but there's no C. Oh, no, where are they? Uh, a also stands for agriculture, which is kind of a commodity um, for what it's worth. But there's apparently a big need to increase food production by around 69% or so. Um, so agriculture, a big thing going forward. We've talked about agritech a little bit on this kind of show, and there are some stocks in this kind of area that I quite like. Um, Corteva I like and regret not buying just a little while ago. It's just run and run and run since kind of... Ukraine shortage puts pressure on uh, food prices, drives up fertilizer prices and so on. And I also quite like Compass Minerals, uh, although they have far too much debt on their balance sheet, which makes me really sad. And if they could get that under control, I would be all over that stock at these prices. Um, anything you like in agriculture? Yeah, two more to add to that. I guess we'll add John Deere. Are they in mm -hmm. the agriculture section? I think they're. I think I'm not quite cheating to put them in there. Oh. And Nutrien was another company that we really, uh, really like in the potash sector. Um, and of course, the potash price has been going absolutely nuts because uh, a lot of um, fertilizer is uh, urea pellets, essentially, or urea yep. liquid if you're American, and that's generally produced in uh, Russia and Ukraine, which are uh, indisposed. I guess is the word I would use at the moment. They're in war, so uh, so potash price, which is a harder thing to get hold of, a more expensive thing to get hold of, um, that has uh, supply and demand, typical supply and demand, absolutely rocketed in price. And uh, people like Nutrien are making an absolute killing at the moment. And I mean, look at that share price, Steve. I think me and you were looking at it, trying to get two dollars out of it, and it's gone up fifty cents. Agriculture or Amazon? Amazon. Yeah, similar. Yeah, I don't I, even have to think about that one. Amazon. I look across my... I really do like some of these agriculture things, but I, I look down my portfolio occasionally and think, is it worth a shuffle? Is there anything I could get rid of? I've had that Amazon thing. It's kind of... I'm not super far up on Amazon, to be honest, from where I was buying it uh, originally, especially when you're considering the FX stuff. But um, I, it's one I feel like I can't let go. It's got a huge moat. The cash generation is, I think, still to follow, but I think it's, I feel like it's one that's going to be around for a very long time. Um, so I'm kind of confident in Amazon going forwards. N stands for, annoyingly, nuclear, nuclear and be. renewables. Um, All right, okay. So it stands for lots of things that don't really begin with N, but at the moment Europe is basically in a kind of fuel crisis of a sort. It's bridging that crisis with LNG from the US mostly. The UK is getting it from Norway, I think, but that's likely, according to these guys, to push a drive back towards working out nuclear power again because it's 
well, has various advantages over uh, and renewables further down the tracks and so on. Um, thoughts on nuclear and renewables? I mean, I think there's some plausibility to that thesis for what it's worth. They can't depend on Russian gas any longer. Yeah, I, well, uh, I guess there's nothing like uh, nationalism and uh, geopolitic sort of struggles uh, to make people think about sort of generating energy on their own shores. And that's what nuclear is all about, isn't it? I think everybody knows the risks of nuclear, but also the benefits of nuclear as well. And I think uh, recently I've had my sort of head turned on nuclear to the point where I think this is perhaps a good idea. Uh, renewables is, is the same. I think uh, I don't have the smarts to tell you whether climate change is a real thing or not so i will just err on the side of caution and say uh let's crack on and switch to net zero because uh if climate change turns out to be absolutely crap then we haven't lost anything we've just generating more power in a different way so that's my general uh, opinion on that so i think there's I mean, I don't know a lot of companies in these sectors. There's not a lot of renewable companies I want to buy. They seem to have been hyped, absolutely overhyped. And I, to be fair, I think if, if nuclear does take off, it could come and smash all of these solar panel companies to bits if we don't need them. And nuclear is, energy is so cheap to produce. It could it could make companies like uh, Enphase and SolarEdge look incredibly expensive. Um, but yeah, I think this is this is a fair sector. Yeah, the one renewable stock that I kind of like but don't like at these prices, in fact, I've sold it, is NextEra, um, mostly because I can understand what their competitive advantage is. They've managed to, by virtue of being kind of early to this, not so early they went bankrupt because a lot of places did that, uh, but by being at the front end of this kind of thing, they've managed to commandeer a lot of the best sites for renewable energy generation uh, in the US. And those kind of nice geographic advantages are things that I can understand and I can see why, yeah, it's difficult for anyone else to do the same thing. Don't fancy it at these prices. Quite like Berkshire Hathaway Energy, uh, though. They have a nice big cash engine behind them. Um, long, long runway for growth and improving things. That's my kind of sneaky renewables approach uh, to this sort you've, of thing. Um, you've done well getting out of next year as well because they're doing a um, uh, convertible offering today, a uh, $2 billion convertible offering. They're down about 4%. Oh, interesting. Um, maybe worth another look then in that case. <laughs> um, this stuff or Netflix? Well, I'm a Netflix bull, and actually noticed today a few analysts have also switched to uh, being Netflix bulls as well. But I, I think this one, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be a, I'm going to be a fencer, and I'm going to say I think this one might be a draw. Interesting. I don't have your strong views about nuclear in the same way, and as such, I think. Netflix is reaching a level where not an awful lot has to go right for it to make something happen. If I was looking for one to buy, it's Netflix, but I might well be buying it for the wrong reasons. I might be buying it for trading reasons here, if I'm honest, because I think they might have the bad news out the way here and that might be about to turn around. I'm not so sure that I still haven't quite figured out how they get their spend under control and so on, but they're having a really good go. Uh, I keep seeing more and more good things on Netflix. More on this uh, when they report their earnings and we do our quarterly, here's what I've seen on Netflix in the last quarter uh, segment. But um, I think Netflix looks cheap right now. It's, uh, what, three months ago, six months ago maybe? This would have been no contest. I wouldn't have taken Netflix at those prices. But um, it's now a much more interesting thing for me. I would lean Netflix. G stands for gold. And other minerals. Um, oh, right, okay. Yep. <laughs> this is a kind of weird bifurcated thing that I don't like very much from the Bank of America, mostly because of reasons to do with the FANG uh, acronym, not because of the content of what gold is. Um, the case for gold is that it's defensive in this kind of environment. The case for minerals is that electrification needs them. Um, and this is a... So think nickel, copper, uh, lithium, and so on. This is a kind of thesis that we're familiar with, right, Steve? Um, the idea that, you know, EVs use loads of copper, they also use loads of lithium and so on and so forth. But we both own um, the same copper company on that broad basis. Um, mm -hmm. I saw something interesting the other day, actually. It was yesterday I saw in the minerals sector. I was looking at Morningstar's top fallers of the stocks they cover in markets, and they included Nucor, Cleveland Cliffs, Alcoa. Um, all of which are steel companies. Um, mm. Nucor, Nucor, I think, thinks that their exports are going down and their earnings are going to come in at around $6.30 rather than $7.56. That's actually down quite a bit below their previous kind of expectations for this. So 
uh, their stock dropped back, as did Alcoa, US Steel, and Cleveland Cliffs alongside them. Um, I was wondering about whether that was a buying opportunity. I had a bit of a look, and I didn't really see it when I uh, looked, because I didn't think these were particularly bargain basement prices, but thoughts on gold and or other minerals? Uh, I think it's interesting um is what i would probably give you there um i, I think i sent your podcast on uh this from the new morning star uh, the morning star of uh investing insights i say it's a new podcast they're on episode 181 at the moment but 180 they swap to a new format where they talk a lot more about stocks and give you uh snippets of their snippets of their research their peered research i guess is in there and their opinion on uh things like commodities and things like that was to go up another level because if you are bullish on things like evs uh and you think that batteries are going to be great well at the moment there's an iron phosphate battery there's a lithium iron battery and there's a nickel cobalt battery hanging around and nobody really is quite sure which one of those is going to win but if you go and pick up a refiner that refines all of those things into the, the necessary chemicals, then you're going to win there. They're, they're more the picks and shovels players than the miner itself. Um, so they put forward Eastman Chemicals, which actually on the day they put it forward, um, downgraded its... Um, downgraded its guidance so that fell about eight percent or maybe six percent but they put forward um borg warner as well steve which is one that i had a look at and i think is a pretty interesting looking company it's in fact mm. it's, it's a remarkably cheap company at the moment as well so one of those ones i'm just keeping my eye on at the moment but i might not be a million miles away from something like something like that hmm gold and other minerals or google steve Google. Obviously Google. Right. Anyway, those are the new fangs. The fangs 2.0. Uh, are they better than the other fangs? You've heard what we think. Maybe next week we'll come up with our own kind of fangs or similar related acronym that we can kind of read out and confuse Paul with it. Um, but that'll be us for next week. Uh, for this week, however, we're on to some news. Some news from Adobe. Steve, what's been happening over there? So it was Adobe's earnings today, and they were down 17%. So you'd think these earnings were atrocious, uh, but they were not. In fact, if anything, these earnings were a flex on Adobe's forecasting abilities because almost everything was like a tick box exercise. You're going down it going, yeah, yeah, they, they forecast that. Yeah, yeah, they forecast that. Yeah, that was exactly as they forecasted. So what the hell was happening? You know what I mean? I was looking at these thinking, oh, these are unremarkable earnings in that they are almost routine. So why is the stock down 17%? I had a good little uh, little scribble around, and they announced at the end of it that they're acquiring a company called Figma. Uh, Figma um, is an interesting-looking company. It's a competitor for, I guess, the nearest competitor is with Adobe's XD product. Uh, and we'll talk about that a little bit later and what it is, because that's, that's not important at the moment. But So this is a $20 billion deal, Steve. It's stock and cash they're expecting to be 50-50. I, I just, I mean, I don't think this is a great deal. I mean, Adobe is already cut in half over the last sort of six months. I don't know why they're wanting to now put the stock forward for something. I mean, their stock isn't cheap, but it, it was a lot. It was a lot less cheap uh, only a few few months ago. So, uh, I've got some sort of some stats for you. Um, it's TAM. It advertises it has been about sixteen and a half billion dollars. It's growing pretty quickly, about a 50% clip. It's a private company, so they don't get all the kind of fanfare that a public company does. So um, gross margins are above 90%. Its dollar-based net retention is over 150%. It's actually already got positive operating cash flows, uh, but but $20 billion is like 33 and a third times sales, Steve. Um Last year, they raised $200 million at a $10 billion valuation. That was last year when, when valuations were were still wild. This is double that. Uh, so this this is strange. Um, Adobe want to run this like a subsidiary. They're, they're letting the CEO stay on. Um, they're going to run it as like a semi-independent subsidiary, let them develop themselves. Uh, it's not a hostile, hostile deal in that regard. Um, the Figma CEO actually sees Adobe as a really good way for them to get... Uh, sort of an established conglomerate looking after them, offering additional leadership and growth when they need it. Um, so I've got to, I just looking at this deal, I just think Adobe has completely caved in. They've looked at this deal and they think Figma is just eating into their market share. And 
I think this looks awful to me. I, I mean, I just can't see how this passes. Adobe has a competitor that's eating into their market share, and they've just took it out. I just don't think this gets through any kind of anti-competitive. And, and for anybody thinking, oh, cool, I'll, I'll just buy Adobe, and when this deal falls through, I'll get my 16% back. Well, I mean, I'm not so certain that's going to happen because – Adobe are literally telling you here that Figma's product is way better than theirs. Um, Steve, thoughts? Yeah, really interesting. Your point about um, the combination of cash and stock, I'm guessing Adobe didn't want to do that for the reason that you're saying. Their stock is currently trading at a lower price than it was uh, a year ago, um, say. And it, I, in general, I don't like companies using stock to buy things anyway. If they can help it, I don't mind it if the stock is massively overvalued, but I don't think Adobe's is at the moment. The immediate thought that uh, occurred to me is that that's going to show up as a $10 billion dilution uh, in that case, which means that it will automatically just do one more thing to repel all the value investors who like putting um, numbers into spreadsheets and think if the share count is going up. No, thank you. Um, they may be right on this occasion for what it's worth. They may well mm. th uh, be justified in thinking that this won't make revenues go up by enough uh, in a certain way. It's 30-something times revenues, you said, okay, and 90% margin. So actually 30-something times growth, uh, well, maybe 40-something times gross uh, profits, which isn't too bad. But uh, gosh, it's a lot to spend. I mean, you would expect, and you normally do see the acquiring company's share price going down as they make an acquisition um, for a couple of reasons. One is that they're putting out money now and it's on them to prove it that it's worth the money that they're spending on it. And that's fair enough. Um, the thing you know about is usually cash and the value of your stock. The thing that you don't know is what the future earnings look like. So you're trading a known for an unknown and usually you're trading a sizable quantity of known uh, for a, a different kind of uh, unsure quantity of unknown we'll see how that goes i guess for adobe and figma the other reason is that that will show up on their balance sheet and just a feature of things that we've seen lately when you think of teladoc and amazon and i'm not saying these are badly run companies either of them decide for yourself on that it is the case that when you start finding that you've overpaid for something you end up with things getting impaired quite a lot and your stock price tends to get hammered when that happens as well um we've seen that happen to both amazon and teladoc fairly recently for what seems to be that as the main kind of cause of these things. Teladox merger of Livongo appears to be, I think, probably got to call it overpriced uh, in this situation. I wonder whether we'll see something similar happen to Adobe if they find themselves having to effectively write down the value of some of the assets they've acquired here uh, faster than depreciation levels. Well, they're going to have to do that if it doesn't perform, doesn't it? I mean, we're talking about a company that's growing at 50% privately, which is a lot. Um, and Figma is uh, it's attacked Adobe in a really smart way. It's given its product away to students for free. Students get used to using Figma. They leave, they graduate, they go to get a job. The job puts Adobe XD in front of them and they say, hey, look, this Figma thing is so much better than this. You know, and and it's, um, and and it's you know, eventually a company tries it and then eventually they swap to it, I guess, is, is what Figma's guessing here. I mean, they're doing $600 million in revenue at the moment on an, on an annual run rate. So this isn't a small company. You know, this isn't, this isn't you know, uh, oh, I guess it's still small in terms of a $20 billion valuation. I mean, this was peak, peak COVID highs kind of levels of, of valuation. But, I mean, I had a really good look around Figma today because I, I must admit I'd not had uh, anything of it. And it's essentially a design collaboration tool. Uh, they've got some really high up clients. Um, they ran the whole Biden uh, campaign for president. It was all uh, designed and, and delivered within uh, within Figma, and you know plenty of other stuff as well. But part of me just thinks, why why can't this be like Salesforce Ventures? Salesforce is really good at picking up little bits of these companies and and buying them along the way. Why is Adobe buying it all? now at such an elevated price I, I think this is a lot of money steve i i don't understand why they've not been able to get this at 10 billion i don't understand why i mean are we really saying from last year to today this company has, has doubled its valuation on only 50 percent top line growth uh, they must see something remarkable there they must there must be something there they think is exceptional and it might be that the ceo is a visionary that they think probably i mean narayan is getting quite old at adobe perhaps they see him the 20 billion is that he eventually becomes the successor who pushes the adobe product on maybe that's what they're paying for but uh, they've not given you enough information and the market has looked at this and it doesn't like it 
Yeah, I'm not sure about that particular. I mean, so when I'm thinking what justifies you paying that kind of uh, revenue multiple or something like that, the answer to me has to be we can make this company better somehow. We can get more cash out of this company that it can produce by itself. And that's not crazy because this isn't like a Berkshire Hathaway type thing where this is a business that has nothing to do with any of their other businesses, but it's great, so we can go and buy it. Um, This is a business that is, as you point out, not just adjacent to Adobe, but in the same place as Adobe, uh, with at least one of their products, which was XD, uh, you mentioned. So I get the impression they must be thinking there's some sort of synergy they can get out of these things, or that together they're worth more than they are individually. So something over and above the sum of the parts. What that would be, I don't know. But this does remind me, um, this whole thing actually reminds me that there's a circle of competence that I have and a circle of competence that I haven't. And Adobe is kind of comprehensible. I get how the business works in a sort of fairly basic way. Had I, did I know anything about its kind of competitors? Um, no, this is the first time I've heard Figma. Uh, we've talked about Adobe on this show before. We uh, discussed its kind of valuation and so on and so forth. I'd heard of DaVinci, but only through kind of you and Paul uh, as a kind of competitor elsewhere on that sort of um business but yeah uh really interesting figma as a a kind of organization and this is a story too it, it is yeah um just looking through the other things as well so at the moment they've got spotify uh, as a as a client as well so they're already attracting some pretty Im- important um companies really into the fold i mean that part of me thinks you should have let them go public let them go public into this encourage them to go public into this market and then buy them <laughs> hostile uh-huh. but looking at their metrics steve um just if you if people wanted a comparison for a techie sort of company uh these metrics are very very close to somebody like monday.com uh, even the gross profits and things like that uh and monday.com uh where it had a lot of fanfare when it came to the market uh, but it's uh, it's since collapsed massively uh, since then. The Monday.com is now about six billion uh, in terms of its market cap. Uh, it actually came public uh, around this kind of price, but doubled, so it went up to twelve twelve sortish sort of billion around that kind of uh, that kind of amount. Um, so you know that that's kind of the one I would point people towards what's happened to the, these sorts of companies with these sorts of metrics valuation uh, over the last year. Uh, they certainly haven't doubled. Mm. Yeah, that's an interesting one. Your point about um, let them IPO and then take them over hostile reminded me of a story I was looking at back over this side, which has nothing to do with Adobe or Figma or any of these things. But I was thinking about the Unilever Glaxo thing. Um, so Unilever tried to buy Glaxo's consumer products division off them. Um, for a number I now forget, might be about 40 billion or so. Glaxo said, no, thank you, it's worth more than that. We'll IPO it and got less for it. Um, And a lot of people pointed out, uh, quite rightly, I think, that means that Glaxo made the wrong decision not to sell that. Basically, they could have got more for it by selling it to Unilever. I think there's an underrated point to be made here that says that Unilever made a bad decision trying to buy it um, because they were offering way too much money. The fact that Glaxo were... Uh, weren't switched on enough to take it doesn't mean it was a good offer uh, and that they should have um, sold it to them that just strikes me as two sets of management both making the wrong decision here one trying to buy something and the yeah, other yeah. refusing to let them do it um, at least Figma two don't make a right <laughs> no at least Figma is uh, well I don't know whether the thought crossed their mind to be honest but had the, the good sense to not try and IPO themselves into what is a market that is not currently um, particularly nurturing for IPOs but yeah Okay, let's get on to some stocks then. Uh, I've got one that's listed on the FTSE coming up, but Steve, you've got one that's listed, I think, in Europe somewhere, right? That's right, yeah, I've got one that's loaded. um, It's on the Swiss exchange. Nice. Um, So, yeah, this this is one I quite like. Uh, Well, I like it so much, I I guess I own it. So... um, this company, it's a, it's a global leader in, um, I guess it's cosmetic, I guess you would call it aesthetic dentistry. Um, its primary market is the, the sort of dental implant market. Uh, it has a, a premium brand, which is actually sold under its name. And it, um, over time, it has been acquiring and building uh, sort of a raft of mid-market and lower market brands, um, pretty much covering every price point. 
Um, Metric Steve, they're a little bit tasty. So it's a 15 billion Swiss franc company. I realize we may lose some uh, listeners here. So I'll let you know, a franc is about 90p in our money. But just for your brain, I would just say quid for quid on this. You know what I mean? It's easy enough to work out from that. Okay. So uh, revenue last year was just a, just a tad over 2 billion um, francs. And they should be on their way to about 2.5 billion this year. Uh, price to free cash flow, price to earnings, they're about 30 on a forward basis, so it's it's not cheap. Top line growth was only about 15% uh, last year. They did have a few headwinds uh, in terms of supply. Uh, net margins coming in at 22%. Um, return on invested capital is about 28%, which is really impressive. Uh, return on equity is even higher at 31.4%. So they've got some pretty, uh, you know, some pretty decent metrics. It's got about 881 million in cash at the moment, and it's about 480 million in long-term debt. Uh, they've been using that to pick up these brands um, and just basically solidify themselves in the market. Uh, looking globally. Um, all localities have been growing for them. They've been showing particularly solid growth in Latin America. The biggest market is still, uh, well, they call it EMEA, which is uh, Europe, Middle East, and Africa, which when you think about it, that's like 90% of, 90 of the land mass. So it's, it's not surprising that it's, uh, it's, it's such a big area for them. Um, so, yeah, inflation for them is a little bit of a headwind, too, as the belts get tightened. Um, but that's it. The firm's experiencing double-digit growth across all of its businesses, and it does have other bits as well. It does uh, tooth replacement and tooth restoration, has a digital solutions, and it also does a little bit of um, teeth alignment as well. So for Paul, uh, it pays a small but growing dividend. Uh, it's about 0.6%. Uh -huh. uh, no buybacks at the moment, Steve. So the, the theory on this one, and uh, I appreciate this is quick for me. I, I normally do 40-minute stock reviews. But the theory on this one is I'm following on from the growing middle class, the toothpaste, the teeth cleaning trend that is favoured by Terry Smith. Uh, without being crude... Uh, to, to Terry's idea, there's only so much you can do with toothpaste. And I say this as a man with a snaggle tooth. Um, implants, I think, will become more popular as the middle classes rapidly develop, as we, as we experience. And in the emerging markets, they'll start to see, you know, shiny, pearly white teeth on that, you know, that we see on, on advertising every day. Uh, this will become more apparent to them. And as they're growing wealth, it will become more affordable to them. Um, Look, I think this company's got a lot to offer in this market. It's Swiss-based, so it doesn't come with any of the negative connotations that an American company does. It's fairly central as well in these kind of areas. Swiss companies are famed for having its, you know, a Swiss country, sorry, is famed for having sort of a, a, neutra a neutrality politically, so they're unlikely to tread on anyone's toes in the way that America would. I think this is quite an interesting company. It has a lot of natural sway, and I think, you know, growing, entering these new territories should be something that comes quite easily to them. Yeah, I think it's a really interesting company as well. I mean, it speaks to something where you don't have to try and understand the customer terribly well. Everyone's got teeth everyone, of a sort anyway, uh, mostly. I say that. That's not quite true, but my son probably isn't this target market anyway. Uh, but... Yeah, teeth are, you know, they're fairly sort of stable kind of uh, area, I think. And it doesn't feel to me like this is an area where anyone's doing huge amounts of disruptive work either. So if you can get yourself to the kind of leading edge of that, I'm not sure there's huge quantities of people trying to do things differently in any particular way either. Uh, question then, what's a snaggle tooth for those of our listeners who are like me and don't know what that means? Well, a snaggle tooth was, I think it was a cartoon thing where they had like incisors that came over the over the lip but my snaggle tooth is on my uh -huh. is on my bottom set and i just refer to it as, i thought it was a quite commonly used term for a tooth that is not quite in the position it should be oh oh okay yeah so i have one of those as well in that case um if it's if that's all it is not quite in the position that it uh supposed to be i thought that sounded like a kind of local whole colloquialism uh or something along could those be. lines um but yeah, yeah it's be. really interesting so do you think of this as consumer or medical devices both, I would say. Mm -hmm. um, they they don't they, they tend to be a supplier of rather than a than, a, uh -huh. than a fitter of, but they are looking into these markets as well at the moment. So they they could well be uh, they could well end up being both. Um, but yeah, I think it's a. I mean, this is an interesting company. The people are looking at these thirty price to earnings and price to free cash flow at the moment, and it's come down quite a bit over the last. Uh, over the last year, and I think they're looking at this thinking it's still a little bit, uh, still a little bit expensive. But that top line growth, you know, with those with those conversion metrics, 
Alex is uh, runs the sort of potential of being quite cheap, quite fast. I don't think there's any question that this is a very good business. Returns on equity, you said north of 30%. Is that right? 31.4. That's right. So anywhere above 30 is the kind of number I always look for as pretty strong returns on equity wise. And then the only question becomes, okay, so this is a very good business. How much do I have to pay to get hold of this very good business? Uh, I mean, you said quite a bit, but there's sort of decent growth there. How does it convert cash reasonably well, right? What was price to free cash flow again? 30. Yes, about 30, yeah. Yeah, so that's sort of not too bad, and price earnings isn't that much higher, right? So it, it passes through cash that's pretty right, yeah, well. That's right, yeah, they're both about yeah. the same, yeah. Yeah, which is a sign it converts its cash reasonably well. That's something that you kind of want to look for here. It's a thing I've been looking at a lot lately, and it comes up in my own stock as well. But um, have you um, said the name of this company yet? I can't remember. It, it's Straumann Holdings, is a, mm. and the ticker is STMN. <laughs> uh, just to let you know as well, uh, I did have a look because I was trying to figure out what is the mo in dental implants, and I, I actually found it on Morningstar this afternoon. Um, and it is that when you have a tooth extraction, um, Straumann have a... a, a an implant that can go in immediately into the hole that was created by the tooth that comes out. So you don't need any additional work or to have to heal and then to have to be re-drilled. So essentially in the act of pulling out the tooth, that creates the necessary gauge for, for Straumann's implant. And that is why Morningstar, they've given them a narrow rating because uh, this product is one of the more expensive ones that Straumann offers. Uh, so there is a chance that, you know, some dentists, you know, depending on your price back, it will probably sooner have you back and drill a hole in your face to put one in. Um, but yeah, that was that was quite an interesting little tidbit. I find that quite interesting. It's a low dividending thing, but it's growing 0.6%. I mean, you wouldn't expect a company that's being acquisitive to be paying much out in the way of dividends, right? I mean, if you need cash for acquisitions, uh, is it worth it? I mean, it's also Swiss, right? So there is um, that kind of fairly high dividend tax that Paul is allergic to, which on 0.6% means there's yeah, not a tremendous amount left, I guess, in the dividend thing here. Yeah, you can't take nothing from nothing, can you? No. Um, but So not one for not one of our kind of candidate stocks for Paul, then. We'll stick to big dividend-paying brick companies and uh, catch-up companies and that kind of thing. But a stock perhaps for those of us that are kind of uh, a bit more kind of growth-minded or, or quality-minded, I guess, something like that. It could be both, couldn't it? I think it could end up being a good dividend. So you can see that the cash the cash uh, conversion is definitely there and they've got the, all the growth metrics you could want to be, a dividend growth stock. Um, it just depends what their commitment is to growing that uh, to growing that dividend. It, it's been a, a very small increase every year kind of thing just because I think they feel like they should be rather than I think they're necessarily committed to doing it. Um, but then they, they're not doing any buybacks at the moment, Steve. So uh, perhaps they are more committed to the dividend than we give them credit for. Yeah, I mean, they have a dividend. Um, it's sort of strange that a company starts paying one I say it's not a big dividend at 0.6%, but then I've kind of wandered into one of my own traps here a little bit. I mean, it's not a big dividend because we compute the yield by working out the payout over the price, right? I mean, if that price mm -hmm. came down, that dividend would get quote-unquote bigger whilst they pay out exactly the same amount of money. Um, so it's not like, I guess, they're paying out... Uh, well, to work out whether or not they're paying out a lot of their earnings and dividends is um, a different kind of calculation, I guess. I suppose they're not because the earnings yield is about three and a third percent and the dividend yield is about 0 0.6. But mm. I guess it's worth thinking to myself that, yeah, look, things that are big dividends become small dividends when prices go up. been thinking about that a bit lately. And things that are kind of small dividends become big dividends quite quickly when stocks come down. Intel's a decent example of that, actually, at the moment. It's gone from paying a two-point-something dividend to a four-point-something dividend, I think, mostly by just losing all of its share price uh, and market cap coming down quite significantly. So, yeah, I mean, it's not a big dividend, but it might be one to, to keep an eye on. You like it at these prices, though, right? I did, yeah. I was looking for it around sort of 100 Swiss francs, and it crashed through that barrier uh, about a month or so after I added it to the watch list. So I have been buying it just slow and steady. It, it has continued falling since, and I think it's more nearer 90 now than 100, but it looks quite attractive to me at these prices. It's kind of nice when you're looking for a slow and steady and a thing keeps coming down, right? That's it, yeah. Um, I guess I, I want to... <laughs> the problem is everything's falling down. I want to buy it as it goes down. That's that's the idea. But the problem is, is that a lot of stuff around it is just collapsed as well, so... 
Yeah. Mm, I'm trying to slow and steady my way into a footsie stop, not the one I'm about to talk about. But the thing, ugh, I've had this happen before as well, um, where I thought, oh, I'll slow and steady my way into this thing. And I get about 200 quid in uh, with just sort of loose bits of spare change and the odd dividend and so on and so forth. And now the damn thing's up about 15% from where I was buying it. I don't really want to buy <laughs> yeah. it 15% higher than I had it before. And if I try and do anything sort of meaningful and throw something at it, I'll pull my average quite a long way higher. Um, but it's, at least with Strauman's giving you a chance here to to come and load up on some stuff. He's given me plenty of chances. I don't think it's actually been green since I've had it. So you always feel like, you know, the minute you put some money in, you're looking down the list and you think, well, there's, you know, there's some of it. That's where some of it will go. Um, I'm only looking to make it about a 2% uh, sort of position. So I'm sort of conscious that I don't want to go in. Uh, too fast and just fill that position up and then just ignore it, especially when there's the chance that we're going to get more attractive prices down the line. And that other stuff is getting attractive as well. You don't want to dedicate too much to a 2% position. If your 10% positions are collapsing as well, they, they, they seem the more obvious ones, the ones I have more more conviction in. Uh, but yeah, I, I mean, I really like it. I think it's an interesting stock. I found a lot of interesting Swiss stocks. I mean, probably the next two of these we do will probably be Swiss stocks. Uh, it's a really interesting uh, market. Uh, I would say it's underloved, but only that it's underrepresented by people like us talking about stocks. The actual stocks on those markets trade very strong, trade with uh, healthy um, healthy valuations as well. So, um, you know, there's very few real bargains to be had just on the face of looking at these companies. I was, you've kind of preempted my final question on this sort of thing. How did you find this Swiss dental thing? I mean, it's it's not a million miles from home, but uh, it's not a company that many people have heard of. I've seen it once in a different video from Sven, uh, but beyond that. I, I Well, that's not how I saw it. I basically got bored one day and sat and went through the whole Swiss exchange on Trading 212 and looked at uh, what stocks uh, what stocks did did what on there essentially, and uh, I stumbled across a couple. I, come up, I stumbled across a company called Sonova, which was a really interesting company. They they do hearing aids and they own um, the Sennheiser brand as well. And I also stumbled across Strauman and had a look into that. And uh, yeah, it just looked really attractive. They, they both looked really attractive. Also, Tcan Group is another one that I quite like on that Swiss market. They're in the life sciences division. They make those. If you ever think about life sciences, when you see like a hundred pipettes all injecting mm -hmm. a very small amount into a test tube they mm -hmm. make that system they make the system that and under each one of those pipette heads has to be changed every time you use it so it's a bit of a you know it's a a servicing contract with a large machine kind of deal plus a razor blade um kind of deal yep. like, like gillette so uh, another interesting business model going quickly looks great on a lot of metrics um and i guess that's the other thing about the swiss exchange that i've found is that these companies really early on start paying dividends and start start buying back um stock but they don't go stupid they just allocate like you know 10 10 percent of earnings to it or 15 percent of earnings to it because they spend the rest growing it's kind of a different market to what we're used to in the u.s where it's kind of like get as absolutely big as you can and spend every penny of vc that you can and then start paying a dividend when everything stops. The, the the Swiss do it a little bit differently. They're really happy to start giving money back to shareholders early. And, you know, in a market where realistically, I think we should be heading back to looking for eight to six to 10% returns, maybe an 8% return. These Swiss companies will probably generate that for you, um, you know, and, and, and maybe with a little bit more safety than, than in America. Yeah, and it was always nice to own some things from some different areas. I won't ask you any more questions about that pipette company because I suspect there may be one for another day, even though I have loads. Um, okay, let's move on to the stock I've been looking at. It's one that Steve knows quite well, to be honest, because a good amount of this is lifted out of a Business Breakdowns podcast. If you're interested, we would strongly recommend that for what it's worth listening to either this episode or probably any of the others. I haven't heard one on there that I didn't think was extremely high quality. The academic in me, which is my kind of day job, refuses to present this research as entirely my own. And I should point out that if I say everything and ascribe every bit of it to the podcast, I'll be saying that after every sentence. But a lot of this is lifted from there. Some of this is lifted from some other places where I've been looking. Absolutely do check out that podcast if you're interested in finding out more about this stock. But this stock is called Diploma. Uh, it's listed on the FTSE. It's a FTSE 250 stock. Um, 
You started with some numbers, Steve. Let's start with some numbers of our own here. It has about £80 million in tangible assets and produces about £116 million in operating income, which is about 144% return annually on its uh, net tangible assets, so the ones that have been depreciated. For context, Google, which is a company that we both loan and like, uh, returns about 70%. Meta returns about 62%. These are fairly asset-light businesses, but Diploma is getting a better return out of the assets it has um, at least by that metric. And then of that 116 million, I said I was going to talk about cash conversion. About 92.5% of that becomes free cash. So it's not queuing up huge amounts of capital. That goes down to that bottom line becomes cash that they can do things with, the things you do with free cash, like pay down debt. There isn't a huge amount of debt, but you could pay down some debt with it. Return it to shareholders via a dividend, do share buybacks, buy other things, which is mostly what they do with it, or leave it on the balance sheet, which isn't what they do. Uh, but again, for context then, so 92.5%, I said Google has a cash conversion by that metric of about 83%. Meta's about 90%. So business with some nice-looking metrics. Um, question then, what the hell does this company do? Um, it's not a software platform, which is what it sounds like uh, based on those numbers. And with a name like Diploma, it could be basically anything. But what it is is a conglomerate. So I like conglomerates a lot. It's made of loads of smaller businesses. And those businesses are focused on basically industrial distribution, usually industrial distribution of components. Um, so it's about as uninteresting as it sounds, but um, they tend to focus on components that are, one, essential, and two, inexpensive. So it's boring little bits that replace on machines. But if your machine is broken and you need a spare part for it, um, it's not going to cost very much to fit, but your machine won't work without it. So it makes it highly likely that people are going to buy them. And they're going to buy them out of their operating budgets, which is what Diploma is targeting, rather than their um, CapEx budgets, their expansion budgets, which means that if we get a kind of economic downturn, Diploma is hoping to get some protection against that. So being in the industrial space, you kind of think, look, we could do with a strong economy, more people making stuff, more people doing stuff, more people building stuff. That's what we really need to kind of produce, uh, push demand along for our, our company here. But in Diploma's case, they only sell kind of small things anyway. And you think that if you've got a broken bit of machinery, you're probably going to fix that for a relatively low cost, uh, 20 quid, $20 for another um, component of some sort. I'll get onto what components in a second that's going to protect them a little bit against cyclicality. Uh, so they break their business down into three segments. There's controls, which is 45% of revenue, seals, which is 32%, and life sciences, which is 23%. Uh, and each of those is focused on a couple of things. One is adding value uh, rather than just being a distributor, and the other is looking for a moat that involves operating in some sort of niche area. So controls, the kind of value add, this involves stuff like uh, cables, cable fasteners, all those sorts of things. Um, and the value add there comes from the fact they offer a really bespoke service. So they have engineers that will work with companies that need specific cables cut to specific lengths with specific pressure resistance and so on. Diplomas engineers can work with them and find a nice way of sourcing that. Um, and this will uh, add some value for them along the way and help them to charge a bit of a premium. So they're a kind of middleman in all of these things. They're between manufacturers and buyers. And it's tempting to try and cut out middlemen with these things to be more efficient go direct to consumer or buy direct from manufacturer, uh, but you lose something along the way. You lose the kind of bespoke service, the kind of engineering engineering expertise, uh, I was going to say. Uh, seals, this is basically stuff that, like, I think of this like washers, uh, basically, and those sorts of things that um, help kind of bits join up reasonably well. They do wear out, they do break, um, and... Diploma's big advantage here is that it's able, it has a huge scale, which means it can get these things to places fast, because if you have a broken bit of machinery, you don't want it broken, you want it doing stuff and making money for you. Um, they can get things faster than anybody else can, apart from perhaps um, original equipment manufacturers, but OEMs charge more for them. So they're a nice combination of speed and efficiency. And then there's life sciences, which is sort of 23% of their revenues, which is, everywhere seems to have a kind of arm in this that i can see but it's um equipment and it's components uh sorry components consumables um in this case so they have distribution in australia canada uk europe not really america where it's all private hospitals and stuff but if you're a small kind of medical device or medical component uh producing company and you want to sell your stuff into canada but you don't currently have distribution in canada diploma can distribute for you and prevent you stop you needing to set everything up to do that yourself uh, okay, what's positive about this business? Well, it's a value-add thing. So we get operating margins between 13 and 17%, which is more than you would expect from a kind of big warehouse distributor type thing. 
um, which tells you there's something going on here more than just having a great big warehouse full of stuff. Uh, it's made up of a lot of smaller businesses, which gives you some reasonable degree of diversification, I guess. If one of them goes wrong, you're not going to go too far wrong overall. But they're all occupied in all occupying, sorry, big positions in small areas. I've talked about this quite a lot as a kind of moat that I like. Something that has a dominant position in an area that's quite small, so it's not really worth it to anyone else to come and try and disrupt them. Uh, but they're um, able to fend off smaller companies by their sheer size. Um, sheer size, relative to the size of the market they're dealing in. They're also decentralized, a bit like Berkshire is, so the businesses all go off and run themselves in their own way. They encourage cooperation and then so on and so forth, and they do try and improve things like accountancy where they can. But in general, they're keen to let people get on with doing what they do best, um, and they're acquiring businesses that do that sort of thing. Risks, mm, two main ones. First is the price. Uh, price earnings of 42 is quite high, even if most of those earnings are going to make their way through to free cash flow. I'm kind of wary of companies at the moment where... Especially in this kind of sector, Charlie Munger talks about, um, I think he's talking about farm machinery for what it's worth when he says he owned stuff in a farm machinery company. And every year, there's your profit sat in the yard. It's a big piece of farm machinery. It never seems to make any kind of cash. It's forever getting used back in the business again. The cash does flow through here, but 42 is quite a high PE, even for a really good one uh, that converts quite well and has quite good margins. Second is the growth by acquisition uh, thing. There's lots more to say about this, but they have a relatively new CEO and Diploma has built itself as conglomerates do by just adding on more businesses. And they've been attempting to acquire things on EBIT multiples, which is where their focus is for reasons I'm not quite sure of at single digits. A new CEO thinks, look, that's okay, but we can do better if we spend a little bit more and go for some slightly better double digit things. That's worked fairly well but I'm a little bit wary of overpaying for acquisitions. I think that risk goes up if you think, well, look, we should be a bit more ambitious, a bit more uh, relaxed about kind of uh, paying the higher multiples. So for me, I'd love to own this stock. Um, I may well own it by the time, the way the market's coming down, I may well own this by the time this podcast goes out. It's Thursday uh, today, by the way. So I got 24 hours or so um to get older this by the time the podcast goes out if i want to the dream would be around 20 but i'm not sure i'll be patient enough to wait it past 22 uh if it gets there it's come down under 25 for the moment so i'm i'm watching this space quite carefully at 22 i think it looks good at 20 i think it looks great this is going to be one that i will edge into slowly if i do it but i like this company an awful lot and i'd be quite happy to put large amounts of money in here at the right kind of price Steve, you've heard the business breakdowns thing with the longer version of what I offered you there. Um, what do you think about this? Uh, well, I think uh, I sent it to you, didn't I? Uh, uh, yes, did I? you did. Yeah, yeah. I, I did, did yes to say, have a look at this. This is great. Um, yeah, I say, same as you. I think this is a, a great company. I've got some questions there for you, Steve, that would be uh, maybe that we could touch on a little bit. So yep. uh, Bruce Thompson was the original CEO that you um, you mentioned had had retired and hence they replaced him. But they actually replaced him with somebody uh, called Richard Ingram uh, mm -hmm. in the meantime. But he didn't last very long. Do you want to just touch on what happened to him? And I guess, does this show the, the strength of the sort of board that they have at uh, Diploma? Yes, he was destroyed in an accident involving some of Diploma's farm machinery. No, um, he... Uh... <laughs> Uh, he came out of, I think it was Compass's Food and Beverages uh, or Catering Organization or something like that. Uh, so he was much more corporate, much more centralized than either Bruce Thompson or Johnny Thompson. No relation as far as I'm aware, by the way, between those two. Um, and so one of Diploma's strengths I kind of alluded to is their sort of decentralized culture. Uh, Richard Ingram was far more out of a kind of corporate centralized world and they got shot of him within about four months, I think, or within a quarter or something along those lines. So they're not scared to kind of swing the axe at the top, but they're, I think they're pleased with their kind of new manager. You can make of that kind of what you will, I guess, but I suppose it means they're, they're confident in their culture. And if you agree with that culture, then it's a probably fairly well entrenched thing. Yeah, and that that is just a to, to add on to that. That does show you the strength of having an independent um, chairperson and, and in, an independent board because they're not beholden to uh, what the CEO says and does. If they think you know perhaps that they've made a mistake and they're prepared to wield the axe, that's a really good thing. Um, I mean, it can be good and bad. It can breed nepotism and what have you. But in this occasion, I think what they've said is this is too big of a change. Diploma is this. 
uh, conglomerate that that leads from afar almost and to try and bring everything in house was uh, perhaps a, a radical change that they 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 didn't want to do just before we uh, shuffle on steve what do you think is the big moat here is the big moat the distribution is the big moat that they 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 carry more inventory than anybody else is the big moat that they're cheaper than the OEMs is the big moat that they have the engineering people who can you know help independent uh, machinists figure out what seal is needed is it is it all of those things does it have yeah, a think, big moat I think it depends on what kind of, I think Morningstar calls their moat narrow for what it's worth but um, I've said before I think there's a, that's a slightly idiosyncratic way of thinking about moats that Morningstar has so. I think could be any of those, but not necessarily all of those. So they divide themselves up into control seals and life sciences, I guess. Engineering expertise goes under controls, I suppose. Seals, I'm not so convinced that this big range, this massive inventory they have. Uh, this is the part where I disagreed with the breakdown uh, podcast for what it was worth. Um, it's probably almost uh, probably true for what it's worth that they have a bigger range of stuff than anyone else has. I'm not quite sure why that makes that desirable. I mean, it's pointed out that there's a few other places that will stock the kind of major seals and the most commonly used things. Why, if I only want the most commonly used things, I would care that Diploma stocks a bunch of stuff that I don't have, I didn't quite grasp. Mm. So, uh, fast distribution, absolutely. Um, the kind of moat thing that appeals to me here is more just the kind of um, niche market stuff that they operate in. This is something I'm well known to be maybe a sucker for, um, but certainly very fond of uh, in my thinking. So I own a bunch of, or I've looked very carefully at a bunch of companies that do that. This one has a load of them. They're a lot smaller than the ones I was looking at. I said conglomerate, by the way, that makes it sound kind of big, right? I mean, it's got about a 3 billion market cap, 3.1 earlier today when I looked. So, I mean, compared to a lot of the stuff we look at, that is tiny. I mean, it's the kind of thing that it would make no sense for Berkshire to acquire because it's not big enough to make a difference to anything uh, one way or another. So I really like this as a kind of smaller thing, but the most impressive moat to me is the kind of lots of companies, big position um, going to fend off competition like that. Yeah, just having a look at its um, stock charts on, it reminded me that it did have a bit of a checkered past, didn't it? It had a, mm. since inception, it had like a, a 16, 17 year period where it did absolutely nothing. And then they announced this new turnaround plan. And if you'd have bought it on that day, Steve, you would be up 25x today uh, in the space of 12 years. So that's a lot. That's Is a that, lot. And that's not factoring in the enormous 1.8% dividend, right? It isn't, no. No, which uh, I think that's growing at about 12% for what it's worth. I think revenue is growing at around the same rate, and there's a decent amount of operating leverage, which pushes operating margins, uh, operating income higher and uh, EPS higher in terms of growth. But, uh, yeah, that's Diploma uh, covered. I'm fond of this. Steve is as well. He was kind enough to let me have this one. Um, but I think we both like this one. I've got a very close eye on it right now. Yeah, I think it's it's one of those one that's it's a hidden business in the FTSE 250, and it's probably what makes the FTSE 250 uh, such a good index. Yeah, yeah, it hasn't actually come down massively. I was looking at the FTSE 250 since the start of the year, uh, and I think that's down about twenty five percent. I have a feeling Diploma mm. is down less. I'm not, I've not paid as much attention to how much it once was as what price I'd like to buy it at and how far is it from there. So to be honest, if it's been cut in half since the start of the year. That doesn't make me want to buy it any more above the number I kind of worked out, mm. but as opposed down, to if it's actually held up fairly well. Yeah, down 26.32% year to Okay, that. about in line with its index then in that case, if you think of the 250 yeah, as the, yeah. the relevant one. If you flick it to a year, it had a bit of a run-up as well, a run-up up into December, and then we all know what happened from that point onwards. So yep. yeah, it's had a pretty sizable fall year to date. Cool. Well, those are our stocks for this week. Well, that's our show. Um, what do you think? Let us know in the comments. We've got the new fangs. We're interested to hear what you'd like to uh, be in there on these sorts of things. We'll try and come up with ours for next week or some other acronym. Um, but thank you all for listening. We've been Steve and Steve and Paul was not here, but we'll hopefully be back next week. Who knows? Who cares? See you next time. <laughs>